0: Let me just make a a quick uh, statement as I introduce our our guest speaker this morning. Psalm 78, verse 4 says, We will not hide them from their children. He says, We will, showing to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord, His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Showing to the generation to come, the wonderful works that God has done. You know, this is one thing I was thinking as we do these creation conferences, uh, usually about once a year, apologetics type conference, it is important for us not to fail the next generation. We cannot just uh, we cannot not give them the tools that they need to be able to defend the faith. And so I'm so grateful for our guest and then also for the organization that he comes from, Institute of Creation Research, that have for many years been doing the painstaking work of combing through details and details and details of creation, really. From the minutest little thing to the greatest thing that you can see out in space, uh, they are combing through every one of those and always, always, always showing how that it supports the word of God. Every single time, every article, everything I've ever seen always reminds us and always takes us full circle. And remember, God did this. God did this. And don't be ashamed to say that God did this. So it's just another way this morning to confirm and strengthen what we already know and that God is who he says he is this morning. So, and I especially just personally am so grateful. There was a time in my life where many of their articles, many of the things spoke to me, and just uh, I was so grateful for those. And so uh, we have this morning a paleo-biochemist with us, all right? So uh, if you don't know what that means, that's okay. It, he's going to explain who he is and his journey from evolution to Jesus. And so please, everybody, please welcome Dr. Brian Thomas.
1: Good morning. Thanks for coming again. And I'm excited. I just, it's simple today. I just get to tell you my story. And it's a story. I mean, I believed that I came from apes. I believed that science proved that Genesis was wrong. I've done a 180, and I get to tell you how that happened. Um, And I'll tell you how it all started. I was in college, but let's do this. We're going to look at some verses in Luke 24. So if you have your Bible, start turning to Luke chapter 24. We'll look at the story of the road to Emmaus. But as you're turning your pages, I'll just tell you how it all got started for me. I was in college, and um, I knew... The Jesus parts of the Bible were right, because I knew that I was a sinner, Uh, you know, I knew I had done wrong, and I knew that there's nothing I could do to fix myself. I needed outside help, I knew, and then the Bible taught that. And I knew that Jesus was that exact outside help that I needed. So the Jesus parts I, I trusted, but the Genesis parts I did not trust, because I knew, put it in quotes, that science proved we came from apes, not from Adam. And that happened over through evolution, natural processes, not supernatural processes like a miracle creation. That's silly talk to me. So that was me starting off. So I believed in God, but I didn't trust all of His Word, just the Jesus parts of His Word. Um, but I'm getting discipled. And my discipler, a good friend of mine still to this day, um, named Kurt, he's a pastor down in the Houston area, he challenged me and he said, hey, Brian, you need, are you a Christ follower? I was like, well, I, I guess I am, you know, Jesus saved me from my sins. He goes, well, Christ followers, we do something called witnessing. I was like, Wit, witness, are we is there a jury out here? I don't see. What do you mean witness? No, witnessing means you just tell the good news of the story that what Christ has done for you. That's what witnessing. Okay, how do you do that? So he says, okay, I'll show you how to do that. So he takes me to the nearest gathering of people where you can find people to talk to. And it was out in front of campus at, this, at, at the street in front of a bar. So there's a bar. I think it was called Crossroads. It was right across from campus. And in the street, there's people milling around and drinking more than they should and going into the bar and out of the bar. And I'm just sort of like, I'm by the wall. I remember it was like a red brick wall. And I'm like, I'm here. I'll watch Kurt do the stuff. And so Kurt gets into these conversations and he's in a conversation with a lady and he's, and he's, talk, he's trying to steer the conversation toward spiritual things. Do you go to church? And she, you know, she takes her beer and puts it behind her back. Oh, totally. I, I go to church. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, what do you believe about Jesus? And he's talking spiritual things. Well, right about this time, a guy who had been drinking one too many, ten too many, comes out, overhears Kirk talking with this stranger and says, man, you guys are talking about the Bible. This is a bunch of joke, man. And I was like, whoa, here comes the sparks. It's, it's fighting time, I guess. What is Kurt going to do? And so Kurt turns his attention to this guy, this loud guy, and says, perfect response. What do you mean by that? Just simple. You, you made the claim. I'm asking you to defend what you, what you just said. The Bible's a bunch of junk because science has disproved the Bible. Well, now, Kurt knew that there's no way you can do an experiment on the past. You can't disprove the Bible with science, because science deals with that which is observable and repeatable, measurable. Well, the Bible is all about history, um, and so you can't, use a, you can't use a test on something that's repeatable in order to disprove whether or not something happened. You have to use historical analysis. That's totally different. Kurt knew that. I did not know that. So all Kurt had to ask this guy was, what science? In other words, what experiment did you hear about that disproved the Bible? What science? And I was like, hmm, that's a good question. Kurt's doing a pretty good job with this drunk guy. And then, oh, but then the drunk guy goes, millions of years fossils are millions of years old, and there's no millions of years in the Bible, and that's why. That's the science." Uh, He was not all with us, but he was holding his own, you know? And I thought, what's Kurt going to say now? Because I believed exactly, I'm like, that drunk guy just said what I believe, you know? I was like, "What, what do I do with this? I was so confused. Um, so anyway, Kurt said, how do you know that those, uh, that those, what's my slide look like? Oh, sorry. Five discoveries. Here's my first discovery that happened. This is how it all started. And Kurt said, what science? And he said, fossils are millions of years old, and then Kurt said, how do you know that those dates are right? How do you know, what science do they use to assign those ages? And he goes. Man, I don't know. They use scientific science. That's what he said. I was like, well, that's now Kurt's got the upper hand. And then Kurt said, okay, did you know that they use circular reasoning and that they assign ages to the rock layers based on the age assignments for the fossils that are in them? And then other scientists come and assign ages to the fossils based on the age assignment of the rock layers in which they find the fossils. And did you know that that's circular reasoning? And the guy goes, man what are you talking about and he waves his hand and he walks away Um, and he's forever gone out of my life but i was sitting here stuck to the wall going whoa is it really circular reasoning is it really not as scientific as i and for the first time ever i heard someone challenge my faith in long ages and evolution so we went back to kurt's apartment and that was the beginning of these discoveries. Of The first discovery really was, for me, um, what, what our culture calls science and scientific may not always be that scientific after all. Um, and I began this transformation. And I began, to, I began to see the world as a created world instead of an evolved world. And um, I, I began to see the Word of God as more and more trustworthy. Does this make sense? Because here's the contradiction in my mind. It was, I can trust the Jesus parts, but I can't trust the Genesis parts. But then when Jesus quotes Genesis, what do I do with that, right? Uh, because now now Jesus is pulling the Genesis parts right into the Jesus parts. It's like, I've got to take this whole Bible. Or, I mean, where do I... Draw the line—it's always arbitrary. I, well, I can't believe that verse, but I can believe this verse. What? What am I? Uh, what criteria am I using? And I couldn't find a criteria. It just has to—it was just all or nothing. That's—that's that's the discovery process. And I think these guys on the road to Emmaus uh, had a similar um, eye-opening experience. So we're just going to kind of read through clips and bits of this story. But let's just track through this story. And then what I'll do is I'll try to. Tell you my story of my conversion from evolution to creation and have it parallel these guys' story and their conversion from um, from not knowing the lord to to knowing him so it starts in uh, luke chapter twenty four verse i 'll start at verse thirteen and we 'll just read some bits of this uh, let's see i've got I'm, I'm behind on my slides so sorry okay that's my circular reasoning slide so Rejoice over that. Yay. And then I'm going to just show some highlighted verses, but, but mainly look at it in your own Scripture uh, if you've got that with you. Verse, uh, you know, I didn't bring my glasses. Okay, pray for my eyeballs. Uh, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, um, and they're talking about all these things that had happened. Well, what just happened? The the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the disappointment of everyone who expected Jesus to be this and that, but he wasn't what they expected. And the surprise at everyone who saw him after he died, and now he's, man, it's the talk of the town. Verse 16, but their eye, sorry, verse So it was, verse 15, so it was while they they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, Uh, verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now, these were disciples, guys. So I've got this verse as my first key verse out of this whole passage here. Their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Well, why were their eyes restrained, and why didn't they know him? And uh, we read on, and Jesus talked to him, hey, what are you guys talking about? That's my paraphrase. Um, and the, the one who was named Cleopas, and I think the two were husband and wife, Cleopas and his wife, based on other uh, parallel um, passages to this. Uh, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what, what things are going on? And Jesus said, what things? Uh, so they told him, well, this, and how the chief priest, and, and then verse 21, uh, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. We were were hoping He would rescue us from the Roman oppression. Uh, And so therefore, because of their... Now, that's a cultural concept. So their whole Jewish culture there was, when the Messiah comes, He's going to rescue us from the oppression. And so therefore, when... Jesus came and didn't do that. <laughs> they couldn't see what it was all about. We'll get this. So let's skip to uh, uh, verse 24. And certain, he's telling the story to Jesus. Certain of those, uh, those of us went to the tomb and found that it was uh, just as the women had said. And there's no Jesus anymore. He had risen from the dead. And then Jesus said to them, look at this. This is such a precious passage, you guys. Verses 25 through 27. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in the Jesus parts of what the prophets have spoken. Is that what it says? Did I misquote it? Oh, sorry. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe some of the Scriptures. Is that what it says? Oh, all? Does it say All? You see, I'm trying to emphasize the all. I don't know if you guys are with me because you're like staring at me. Oh, let me, let me read it correctly this time. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in, say it, all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, and by the way, Jesus referred to Abel as a prophet, specifically, that would be a guy in Genesis. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into His glory? Based on Psalm 22, based on Isaiah 53, based on Genesis chapter three. These are prophecies that the that the that the prophets wrote. And uh, v- verse 27. Oh, this is so this is so me. And beginning at Moses and some of the prophets. Oh, wait, sorry. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, guys. What's the first book of Moses? Genesis. Jesus was there on the road to Emmaus talking with these guys. And they're talking and walking, and he's saying, okay, remember that passage in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where there's going to be a coming one who's going to crush the serpent's head? That's, that was talking about me. That was talking about the Savior. And uh, uh, beginning at Moses on the prophets, he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And, and, and then I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 31, verse 31. So, they, so they're talking and walking, and then they persuade Jesus to come with them to where they're staying, and so, so then they break bread. And verse 30, now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. So here's the story arc. Verse 16, their eyes were closed, they didn't know him even though they're followers of Him. Verse 31, their eyes are opened, and they know Him. Okay, this is me. This was me. I was a follower of Him, but I didn't know Him as the God who's trustworthy enough that I can take Him at His word. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can take some of His word, but not all of it. So, what kind of a God is it who can't tell me the truth about where I came from? It's a, almost a little g God. And so I didn't see why. Because the cultural ideas in our culture about origins is that it's natural, natural processes, not supernatural. So my first discovery was maybe what's been scientific is not science as much as I thought it was, and maybe Genesis got it right. Maybe the prophets, maybe I should take their word As as higher value than I've been taking it. Well, about that time, um, uh, I I got to college. I got zoology class. Kids, zoology—that's the study of zoos, right? Where's the kids? There's no, there's no youngsters in here. Okay, everyone needs to start. You know, I thought you guys were procreation. Oh, here we are. There's some. Yay. That was a procreation joke. No one, anyone get that one? Yes, uh, we need kids. When I, was, when I was in college, I got to zoology. It's the study of animals, not the study of zoos. And uh, they said at the last day of class, this is Dr. Fisher, he put this image on the slide. Back then it was overhead projectors. So he had this, and he put his transparency, slapped it down, and it projected the image on the screen in the, in the college lecture hall. And he said to all of us, Dumb East Texas yokel local locals that didn't have any brains. If you don't remember anything else in my class, remember this. This fossil, Archaeopteryx. By the way, let's just get past the name and everyone say Archaeopteryx. I had one lady ask me, thank you for those who participated. Shame on you who sat there. Archaeopteryx. Some lady said, a young girl, why do they call it that? <laughs> they should have called it Susie. I'm sorry, but they just put a big name on it, Archaeopteryx. It just means uh, ancient wing. It's a fossil of a dead... Well, it's got wings. It's got feathers. It does have a long tail. It's kind of a weird thing, but it was once alive, and now it's a splat. There. Inside a, a rock. He said, this creature, Dr. Fisher said is exactly what we would expect if evolution is true, because it's partly bird, but it's partly reptile. And reptiles evolved into birds, and this is not fully reptile, it's not fully bird, it's right in between, just as you'd expect if evolution was true. Older fossils, reptiles, more recent fossils, birds, archaeopteryx right in the middle, and I sat there, and I soaked it up. And I was like, okay, it's proof of evolution. It's millions of years. It's natural processes, bringing forth birds. And then I went to Genesis, and what does it say? God created these creatures to reproduce according to to kinds, but evolution says between kinds. You can go from reptile to bird. You can go from ape to man. You just give it enough time and death. Which one's right? Am I supposed to take God's word for what happened in the past or my professor's word for what happened in the past? Well, if I'm like these, these guys on the road to Emmaus, uh, they were taking the cultural word about Jesus as more prominent, more important than what the Scriptures said about Jesus. And the Lord Jesus, in His grace and kindness, showed them exactly what they needed to see in order to persuade them to go back to Genesis, back to the Scriptures, back to what all the prophets had said. And this was a big deal to me. And I said, well, wait a minute. This is proof of evolution. I can't go with everything the Bible says, and then I started. Then I went back to Kurt's apartment. Okay, here we go to Kurt's apartment. Hey Brian, remember that conversation we had with the drunk guy? I was like, yeah, that was really interesting. What do you believe, Brian? Well, I mean, I believe I believe everything the drunk guy said. I believe we came from apes, and I believe uh, in evolution and millions of years because science has proved it. Well, what science? So he's he's asking me these same questions. I was like, well, I know it's scientific. It's not just circular reasoning. Surely not all those scientists, those smart people, there's a lot of smart people to get it wrong. Surely it's actually science. Well, Brian, let me know how, what experiment they ran. I'm open. I'm all ears. And I said, okay, I have to study for a test. I can't do that right now. <laughs> Next week, hey, Brian, remember that conversation? Do you, are you still believing in evolution in millions of years, or have you changed your mind on that? Have you investigated that issue? Uh, no. What about circular reasoning, Brian? Do you do you th- can you refute my circular reasoning argument? Ah, uh, not yet, but maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. Third week, Brian, what about circular reasoning? Can you refute it? Man, I don't know. No, not yet. Fourth week, hey, Brian, what about circular reasoning? And in the in-between times, we would talk about all kinds of stuff and what the Lord's doing in our life and what this Scripture means, but then he kept bringing it up, bringing it up. And I'm telling you, six weeks. And by the sixth week, hey, Brian, circular reasoning. Have you had a chance to deal with that yet? No, and stop bothering me about it. I'm sick and tired of you bothering me about circular reasoning. Uh." That was me. I was bombastic back then, but now I'm cool as a cucumber, as you can tell. (laughs) Stop bothering me. I don't want to talk about this anymore. He said, you know what? How about we make a deal? where you read a creation book. He didn't say it like that. That's how I heard it. Creation, ew. You read a creation book, and then I will stop bothering you. And I thought about it, and I was like, that's a win-win for me, because I'll read the book, he'll stop bothering me, and I'll get to refute all the nonsense that's in this wackadoodle, quack science creation book. And it turns out it was a book by... Dr. Henry Morris, the founder of the Institute for Creation Research, the institute for which I now work. Man, (laughs) the Lord had plans, and I didn't know it. And I said, ah, you got it. We shook hands, and I took that book home. The title was Scientific Creationism. We still sell it. We didn't bring it with us. It's old, but you can order it. But um, a title like that, you might as well just title it, Do Not Ever Read Me, you know, Scientific creationism, no way. But in order to get Kurt off my back, so I had a yellow pad, pen in hand, page one, and I'm just, I'm going to tear this thing down. And, uh, and I'm reading it, and page one, well, whoever wrote this knows how to write. That's good. Page two, how come I haven't had any problems yet? Page three, wait a minute, this, this kind of makes sense. Chapter two, no one told me this. Chapter three, Whoa, and I'm starting to see the science that supports creation. No one told me this science. Then I got to the chapter four, which talks about fossils, and guess which fossil it discussed? Archaeopteryx. What are these crazy, wackadoodle creationists gonna say about Archaeopteryx? They didn't even examine it themselves because the thing was from Germany. They're over in California. and I read it, and they didn't have to examine it themselves. All they had to do was quote from the evolutionists who did examine it themselves. And you know what the evolutionists said? And I'm reading it, and it says, and this is the, the evolutionist who examined it himself, the fossil in Germany, in the Soldenholfen limestone. And he says, Archaeopteryx, based on its feathers, was just a bird. The bird. I thought it was the icon of evolution. I thought it was the pillar upon which... I have to base my doubt on God's word. And now it's just a dead bird? That's it? It's just a dead bird? So there went that. And so now my view of of Genesis was like, you can't trust it. Science you can trust. And by science, really what I meant was evolution, which is not the same thing. And so now with circular reasoning, guess what happened? It ratchets like this. Circular reasoning, that's not science. Click. Maybe Genesis is good. The fossils, they show evolution, right? Well, the best fossil is just a dead bird. Click. And by the way, birds are created kinds. Genesis says God created these things to reproduce according to their kinds. Genesis got it right. And so with each of these personal discoveries, my faith in God's Word elevated. And this next one, I love this one. I was reading um, uh, this exact page uh, uh, from this magazine uh, called uh, Creation Magazine, and it was a page on sea slugs. Now, Dr. Fisher had just... So this is, these are some sea slugs. Um, they're just really colorful creatures that live in the bottom of the sea. And uh, Dr. Fisher said like this, um, you have evolution of um, jellyfish and then sea slugs, and then these are 200 million years ago, or whatever the numbers you. He, he just, he, he laid out all these animals according to, you know, goo, started with goo, and then we have the first cell, and then we go through the zoo, and we get to you. And that was the story he told. And the earliest zoo animals that led to mankind through this progress of evolution were sea slugs, uh, some of the earliest were some of these sea slugs. And that's, and I had to memorize that, and I had to put it down on the test. Then sea slugs evolved and I, I got my A or B or whatever grade I got. I won't reveal to you my actual grade. <laughs> Tried to do my best to regurgitate what I had to say. Then I read what this article said about sea slugs. And it says this The sea slug is a creature that eats sea anemones. You know, sea anemones look like at the tentacles. And uh, the clownfish lives inside the tentacles. And then the tentacles actually have stinging cells that, that, that shoot out these little microscopic. Spears, and so if a, if an enemy fish gets among the tentacles, then it gets speared with a thousand little spears, and then the enemy you know, eats the the fish. Are you with me on this? You, you guys, you're Californians. You're good with ocean life. I try to explain this to Texans, and they're just like, "What? It ain't a cow. What are you talking about?" <laughs> sea slugs, spears. So, but the but the sea slug creeps up upon a sea anemone, and then starts to eat the tentacle. It eats the tentacles without getting stung. No one knows how that happens. And then it digests the tentacle cells and uses them for food, but it keeps the stinging cells intact inside its gut. So the sea slug keeps the stinging cell intact. Then, as if that's not a miracle enough, it takes that same stinging cell that it just ate, and it transports it up into these little projections in its back. Do you see that some of these have those little projections that are green? That one has green ones, and the next one has different color. That one has a feathery projection. So it takes these stinging cells that it just stole, it transports them up into those projections, and puts it in place in little notches in its skin, and uses the stinging cells for its own self-defense. And I thought to myself, that's it! Whoever designed this had to be an actual designer, not nature because they had to know intimately the anatomy of both the anemone and the sea slug and how to coordinate all these things. Genesis. My God, a God, the God of the Bible, is the only God that can explain this level of design. And then guess what happened? Ratchet. <laughs> Professor professor, why didn't you tell us the part about sea slugs that they actually do this? Well, because it doesn't, doesn't fit the, uh, the evolutionary story. So, so, those were my discoveries, and uh, right about this time, I'm just thinking, man, Genesis got it right, but I still believe in millions of years, so how do I put the millions of years into the Bible? That was my next project. So we have all these options that still are very popular in churches today, and I went through each one. Theistic evolution is what I started out. It's a, evolution's true, but there's a God behind it who did it all. And uh, I began to, to, to realize, I don't, I don't buy that anymore because I don't see evolution happening today. I don't see evolution in the fossils. It's just dead birds and dead animals. That's not evolution. That's extinction, not evolution. It's going the wrong way. Um, so, whether you call it theistic, which is there's a God behind it, or atheistic, which is what it really is, either way, there's no evolution happening, so I crossed that off the list. But I have a cross? Oops, I'm gonna cross them all off. I'll just leave them all crossed off. Day age theory. Oh, I remember this one. I was driving, I was riding, and my buddy was driving his pickup. And we're heading toward campus, still in my college days, and he said, I've got it all figured out. He's East Texan. And, um, I said, okay, let me know, because I need to know how to fit millions of years into my Bible. And he said, in Peter, there's a verse It says, days with the Lord, a thousand years. Does that mean the days of creation were a thousand or maybe more years long? It doesn't it say exactly. I was like, okay, cool. I, I can go with that. The day age theory. Day in Genesis means a long age. And then I went back and read the text, and it said, and there was evening and morning the third day. Then there was evening and morning, the fifth day. It's like, how can you make this any more clear? There's evening, and there's morning, and there's both evening and morning, and then there's a number, and then day. Um, so, in order to make those days into ages, I had to, I would have, had, I would have to say, um, I'd, have to, I'd have to invent something that the Scripture's not saying, so that was a problem there. So I said, that doesn't work as well as I thought. Oh, by the way, I went back to that verse in Peter. It says, a day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And you read the rest of the verse, it says, and a thousand years is as a day. <laughs> well, that erases that whole argument. And, um, and I realized he's not saying anything about the days of creation in 2 Peter chapter 3. He's just talking about how the God of the Bible, the creator God of Genesis, the Savior that we have, the Lord Jesus, is outside of time altogether. He's that great. That's what he's saying. Then there's progressive creation, very popular, especially here in California, where you've got millions of years, and then God created algae, and then millions of years, and God created um, clams, or whatever, you have, uh, sea slugs. Then millions of years, and God created the next thing. So progressively, God is creating. And I thought, maybe that's it. Maybe we can just have the evolutionary history but give God the responsibility of, of doing the creative work. And, and then I went back to the text of Genesis and compared that text to what the, the theory of progressive creation says, and I realized there's a problem with it. There's several problems, but the biggest problem I found is over all those millions of years, you have creatures doing what? Living and dying. Living and dying for millions of years before you even get to Adam? But the Scripture says in Genesis, God said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. You'll start dying, and then you'll die. And then they ate. Adam and Eve ate. And then death entered the world. It's death, Romans chapter 5, verse uh, 8, look it up, Uh, uh, and verse 12, death through sin, how do you have millions of years of dying before sin was even a thing? Scripture says that sin first, that's why we have death. So if we have death before sin, like progressive creation uh, has, then we have, we're erasing the whole reason that Jesus himself came to die and suffer that death, which is our death penalty, he took upon himself. So it erases the reason for the gospel and same with the gap theory, where you have billions of years uh, in between verses one and two of chapter one. It doesn't. It, it, I, have, I thought of that one also, but but I eventually realized, you know what? All these compromises—they're just—they're just compromises. And and um, and what Jesus is admonishing these people to do in verses uh, Luke twenty-four, verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, guys, that was me. I was the, oh, foolish one. (laughs) Because I was like, how do I make God's word mean something it doesn't say? And finally, I realized, I don't have to do that. Science backs it up. And here's my fifth personal discovery. I don't know if you've been counting, hopefully not. Fourth, fifth, sixth, whichever one. Uh, this subject here. So I'm going to show you pictures of um, isn't this colorful, wonderful stuff? It's it's like um, it's like if you took a microscope and looked inside of your uh, steak, you'd see some some goo like this. Except this isn't this isn't steak. It's inside dinosaur bones. You see these, these are micros, micrographs, pictures of of dinosaur uh, bone where the mineral part of the bone is dissolved away. And then uh, these researchers, secular researchers, found uh, the top row is Tyrannosaurus rex thigh bone. That's the big thigh bone here. They broke it open, dissolved the mineral part. And this blood vessel with red blood cells, uh, good. I see some squinchy faces like, ooh, that's gross. I want you to feel the gross right now. And then there's the next one is, uh, I think, Triceratops. And the bottom one is Brachylophosaurus. Oh, anyway, it's a, it's a duck-billed dinosaur with blood vessels still in it, bone cells still intact, uh, but it's 70 million years old. Well, how long can this stuff last? So I was really intrigued by this evidence, and I began to, uh, I began to study it. And through this personal discovery, I realized not only is there an absence of evidence for the evolutionary history that tries to take place of the history God wrote in Genesis, but there is the presence of evidence that supports a recent creation and a recent flood. That's what we're talking about: is these dinosaur bones not deposited over millions of years? 70 million years ago, et cetera, but deposited relatively recently in Noah's flood. I think the dinosaur fossils are flood fossils. Well, that puts them after after sin instead of before Adam and Eve and sin. So that puts them after sin because Noah's flood is after Adam, and it puts them uh, thousands, not millions, of years ago. And now we've got soft, squishy tissue that still stinks. You could probably have it for dinner. It would be a gross dinner. But there it is inside dinosaur bones, and they keep pulling more and more out of the ground. This paper was published just last year, and they they surveyed 27 or so hadrosaurs, and they found blood vessels with red blood cells uh, in them, and then branching blood vessels, like bacteria don't make this. Uh, They found uh, uh, stretchy tissue inside. They found bone cells called osteocytes still in these hadrosaurs. Wow! Wow! So I thought, I've got to figure this out. So I went and got a PhD in this subject. And so I was able to realize and, and, and re-measure the decay rates, finding out that the maximum shelf life is something like 900,000 years in theory that, that this tissue can last. It can last a long time. Think of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right? Th- that's animal skin made into parchment, 2,000 years old. It can last thousands of years, but it cannot last even one million it falls apart due to the laws of chemistry. So, that can't even be a million years old uh, in theory, and yet it's in the ground, and yet they, the, my colleagues call it 70 million. So, of course, people say, what do your colleagues say? How do they explain this? And I'll just preemptively answer that question right now. We've got two camps. One camp says, well, the decay rates are wrong, There's something about that it can actually last 70 million years, and that's why we still see it in here. And the other camp says, that's not dinosaur tissue, that's something else. And I'm sitting here going, of course it's dinosaur tissue. you got it from inside the bone. We have 100 published literature papers that found it, not just dinosaur but all kinds of fossils on all the continents except Australia so far, even Antarctica. And um, all the rock layers, even the Cambrian, the lowest layers, has tissue and biochemicals and proteins in it, it's definitely there, and it definitely can't last that long. I've got a way to solve it. Genesis solves this one, because if I have a recent creation, a recent flood, and then that's, wow, personal discovery number five absolutely puts the icing on the cake, and now I go back to Genesis, and I go, praise God, God, He got it right in the beginning, and He told me exactly where I came from, and science confirms it. And now I get to tell my story to whoever wants to listen. Thanks for coming to listen. And I get to tell my story to whoever comes to Dallas um, and sees the displays that we have in our brand spankin' new Discovery Center. Uh, so come visit us in Dallas, and we'll look at that. So wh- where are you today? That's, that's my question. Where are you on this spectrum, on this, uh, on this road to discovering uh, uh, who He is. And Now, remember that last verse that we emphasized, verse 31. I'll read it again. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew Him. Guys, this, this was the transformation. For, it's not just academic, like, now these facts are correct, and now I realize these facts. are No, it's not just about that. It's, wait a minute, if Genesis is right then the God who wrote it, the God who inspired it, rather, He is trustworthy. And now I know Him as a God who cares enough about me to tell me exactly where I came from so that I can know exactly where I'm going and I know exactly why I'm on this earth. Now I know. Now I see Him. And my view of God went from, well, He you know he 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 occupies a corner of my life you know that kind of he helps me through hard times you know that that kind of little god and now i realize boom he is the god he's not just the corner of my life he is the energy of all life and of all the universe and he gave us exactly what we needed to know in his word and now i know him And it's because of these personal discoveries that he brought me through. Where are you in that journey? Have you decided, you know what? There's something keeping me from trusting the Bible. So my encouragement and challenge to you is, what is it? Is something keeping you from trusting Genesis, taking it at face value? Dig into what is keeping you from it. Investigate that issue. Tackle it. Don't just sit on the, like me on the wall, you know. I'm going to let someone else do the work. I'm going to let someone else witness because I'm too scared because I can't. I don't, how am I going to witness to a world that's lost and dying about a God of the Bible if I don't even believe the Bible and the God of the Bible myself? So my challenge is finding it, find that issue. What's keeping you from trusting God's Word? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe you're just sitting there going, oh, I just... I know the Jesus parts are right, and that's enough for me, and my, my encouragement for you would be what? You've got a God who's in the corner of your life, and I'm telling you, there's a, there's a real life out there knowing Him. Their eyes were opened, and they knew Him. You can have that life of knowing God, and that's what life is all about, is knowing Him. Um, so, so some of you are disciples, but your eyes are closed, and you don't believe all of his word, and you don't trust him fully like you can. Will you come and trust him? Will you? Some of you don't know him at all. And so you're like, well, I'm just here because my friend brought me here, or I'm here because of the heard creation scientist was here, and I'm going to come mock him. and whatever your, whatever your position might be, if you need to even start to know and be introduced to him, remember the ABCs of creation. A, B, C. Admit you have sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus to, take you, to rescue you from your sins and then confess what you've done to someone else. Maybe that's you. You need to be born again. Uh, maybe you're, you've been following the Lord but only half-heartedly. Make it wholeheartedly today. Just do that in your own heart. Decide now what you're going to do. Who, who are you going to tell about what changes you're going to make what issues you might need to investigate so that your hearts will be open, so that you will know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have...